Hallelujah. Brother David has already mentioned it this morning, and due to everything that happened yesterday and and this morning, we could not get it together. We're going to celebrate with them. We want to wish them a happy 12th anniversary today. Our assistant pastor and his wife. And uh, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful couple, if I have to say so myself. Amen. Somebody did a good job raising Brother David. Amen. Let's go to the first book. That would be Genesis. We're going to read one verse. It is our custom, if you don't mind joining us, to stand for the reading of this one verse. Genesis 1 and 27. So God created man in his own image. Somebody say that word with me. Image. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. We'll share the meaning of image right here. Resemblance of. A good representative. A figure. Likeness. Semblance. Or a close recreation. So if we had a picture of God, it would be standing beside you pretty close. That would be, that would be a, a close idea of what the Lord would look like. There's different, different features. And it doesn't necessarily mean a body and standing upwards. There's also some deeper study that's, that's uh, spiritual and... Uh, but it also has the meaning of what we know to be image. And when we are the image or a likeness of or the children of or a creation of, then there's places in our life that only our creator can go. There's things that only he knows places that only he has access to so I want to preach to you for a little bit may do some teaching there is a void that only God can fill there is a void that only God can fill and I expect to prove that to you today Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. Thank you for letting us be here together today on this beautiful Sunday in July. Thank you for those that are here. Lord, those that have gone on before us, we're going to meet them again. We're doing our part to get there. Just ask you to bless us, touch us, anoint us as your word is anointed. Let us hear the word. Let us understand the word. And let us respond to the word and the spirit that is speaking to us today we thank you for it and we give you the praise and honor in the matchless name of Jesus Christ we pray say amen with me and then let's give him a great hand clap
Come on, one more time, just a great hand clap. I want to share something fresh with you today. The first time I've, in all these years and times, I've spoken directly from this subject. I've had more than a few people, especially in recent months with the challenges and the atmosphere of our nation, uh, from health to politics to 23 funerals in 13 months, to just family struggles, all types of things. I've had it said to me for a number of reasons. I just feel like something's missing. I just feel an emptiness. I, I just, and a lot of times these are people that have not gone through tragedy. A lot of times these are people that are just working eight to five or whatever their hours may be and life just comes and hits them like a train. And ultimately, people begin to wonder, why do I no longer feel what I used to feel? Why? Where's the excitement? Where's the wonder? Where's the desire? Where's the something's missing? And it's always followed up by this. I just can't explain it. I just can't explain it. And I'm going to do my best. And I've felt this many times before in my life. And, and certain I will again. Uh, won't be able to explain things. But I'm going to do my best this morning to do this. And I'm going to just share my heart with you on this subject. But if we are the image. And if we are the likeness. And the closest representation of anything else created. To God. And we know that. When the flesh of Christ Jesus came, he came as a man, human being, a man. He could resemble anyone sitting here if we really knew. And so we know that uh, our Creator has designed us for a purpose. Many times we look in the mirror and wonder what the purpose was. But it's there's a reason. But there's something that is seems kind of simple, but it gets overlooked a lot of times. If there's something missing between us and God, then we are incomplete. Now, listen close. If our relationship with God is, is challenged to a place and to a point... It, that uh, something is missing. If there's a, a, a part of the image that is not there, then there's a part of us that's missing because there's a part of God that's missing. Did, did, that, did that come out right? And a lot of times we as uh, a modern society will begin to shave a little here and a little there off of what the image ought to be. We'll do it spiritually, we'll do it physically, we'll do it financially, we'll do it emotionally, we'll do it relationally. And if we're not careful, it's not long, we will no longer be an image of God. There'll be so many pieces missing. 
that that is no longer recognizable as an image of God. All right. I can already tell. This is going to be fun today. It was Nashville, Tennessee during the first week of January in 1996. More than 4,000 baseball coaches descended on Opryland Hotel for the 52nd Annual American Baseball Coaches Association Conference. Coach John Scalinas was a 78-year-old and five years retired from being a collegiate coach. His career began in 1948. He was the main speaker at that event. He shuffled to the stage to a very impressive standing ovation. Many people there did not know him. Some had never heard of Coach Scalinas. He was wearing dark polyester pants, a light blue shirt, a string around his neck. From that string was hanging home plate. That's a coach. He had drilled a couple of holes and had a home plate hanging. Some people that did not know Coach Scalinas asked, who is this guy? And He spoke for about 25 minutes, never mentioning the prop hanging around his neck. And Coach Scalinas appeared to notice the snickering among some of the other coaches and those coming up that were at this event and even those that knew the coach wondered exactly where he was going to be going with this maybe forgotten thing hanging around his neck. Finally he had enough of the wondering and the feeling and the snickering and the laughter and he said you're probably all wondering why I'm wearing home plate around my neck. Those in attendance said he said it kind of in a growing aggravation sound. People laughed. They, they did wonder. He said, I may be old, but I'm not crazy. He said, the reason I stand before you today is to share with you baseball people what I've learned in my life and what I've learned about home plate in 78 years. Are you ready? Several hands went up when coach asked how many little league coaches are in the room. They raised their hands and he says, after a pause, how wide is home plate? Does anybody in this room know? Seventeen inches. Seventeen inches. Then he said, that's right. How about in Babe Ruth's day? Does any Babe Ruth coaches in the house, any of you coach in that league? And there was another pause and 17 inches with a question one said. That's right, said the coach. How many high school coaches do we have in the room? Hundreds of hands went up. A pattern began to appear. How wide is home plate in high school baseball? 17 inches, they said, sounding more confident. Coach said, you're right. And you college coaches, how wide is home plate? They said, 17 inches in unison. 
sounded just like a choir singing all in time. Any minor league baseball coaches here today at the Opry, he said, and they raised their hands and he said, how wide is home played in the minor leagues? 17 inches. Right. And in the major leagues, how wide is home played in the major leagues? 17 inches. He confirmed his voice billowing off the wall and what do they do with big league pitchers, pitchers who can't throw the ball over 17 inches? Nobody said anything. He said if a big league pitcher, pitcher can't throw the ball over a 17 inch plate, he goes to the minors. He no longer can be a big league pitcher. He said, what do we do about that? We like the guy. He's a nice guy. He's a handsome guy. He dresses nice. He wears nice cologne. i tell you what we do. We say, oh, Jimmy, don't worry. We'll make it 18 inches so you can stay on the team. You ready? Here we go. He says, well, I'll tell you what, Jimmy, we like you so much that if you can't hit 18 inches, we'll make it 20 inches. Why? If you can't hit that, let's just make it 25. Because we need you. It was quite the long pause as people started getting a little uncomfortable. Coaches, what do we do when your best player shows up late to practice? Or when our team rules forbid facial hair and a guy shows up unshaven? What if he gets caught drinking? Do we hold him accountable? Do we change the rules to fit him? What if he misses practice? Do we just move the practice day? Do we widen home plate? I'm giving you the perspective of a 78-year-old baseball coach. The chuckles gradually faded away as 4,000 baseball coaches grew quiet and quite uncomfortable. That fog lifted as the old coach's message began to unfold. He turned the plate toward himself and using a sharpie, he began to draw something. When he turned it towards the crowd, it was pointed up. It revealed a house. He had, he had taken a marker and put a door on it and put a couple of windows on it. And he said, this is the problem in our homes today with our marriages. With the way we parent our kids with our discipline, we don't teach accountability to our kids. There's no consequence for failing to meet a standard. We just widen the plate. There was a pause. Didn't do the point. At the top of the house, he added a small American flag and said, this is the problem in our schools today. The quality of education is going downhill fast and teachers have been stripped of the tools they need to be successful and to educate and discipline our young children. We're allowing others to widen home plate. Where is that getting us? There was a silence. He replaced the flag with a cross. And he said, this is the problem with our churches where powerful people in positions have taken advantage of others only to have such an atrocity that they're involved in swept under the rug for years. Our church leaders are widening home plate for themselves and we allow it. Then he said, the same is true with our government. 
Our so-called representatives make rules for us that don't apply to them. They take bribes from lobbyists in foreign countries. They no longer serve us, and we allow them to widen home plate. We see our country falling into a dark abyss while we just watch. One man reported, I was amazed at a baseball convention where I expected to learn something about curveballs and bunting and how to run better practices. I had learned something far more valuable. From an old man with a home plate strung around his neck, I had learned something about life and about myself and about my own weakness and about my responsibilities as a leader. I had to hold myself and others accountable to that which I knew to be right, lest our families, our faith, our society continue down an undesirable path. If I am lucky, Coach Scalinas concluded, you will remember one thing from this old coach today. It is this. If we fail to hold ourselves to a higher standard, a standard of what we know to be right, if we fail to hold our spouses and our children to that same standard, if we're unwilling or unable to provide a consequence when they do not meet the standard, and if our schools and churches and government fail to hold themselves accountable to those they serve, there is but one thing to look forward to. With that, he held up home plate in front of his chest and turned it around and revealed its dark black backside. We have dark days ahead. I want somebody to hear me right now. We're not going to widen the plate. It's very quick in human history that men go their own way. It's very quick that they recognize that they can in their own ability and authority do what they want to do, but it's also very quick they recognize that God will not allow it. By the time the children of God get to a point to where they have government and leadership, they've drifted so far from Him that at that point God is ready to start replacing people. King Saul has rejected the ways of the Lord. He's not following customs. He's not following commandments of God. And his prophet Samuel does not know what to do with him any longer because he simply will not be godly. The Lord refused to let Saul's plate get wider than 17 inches. And he said, if this is the life you're going to live, here's the message I'm going to send you. 1 Samuel 13 and 14. Samuel the prophet says to the king, Saul, but now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. Hear that. After his own heart. And the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. It's recorded again in the New Testament. Millennia later, here we find it again recorded because it's never forgotten. When you get to Acts 13 and 22, here's what that verse says. And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill 
all my will. See, God didn't design us so that we could start shaving off pieces to fit our comfort level. He didn't call us. He didn't convict us. He didn't give us his spirit. He didn't give us his church. He didn't give us baptism in his spirit. He didn't allow his spirit to lead us and guide us so that we could embarrass that. He did not give us that privilege. God's looking for people in search of his world and his ways. People that we call godly people. You get to Amos 9 and 11 after all the things wonderful have happened. You've got a, uh, you've got a tabernacle in the wilderness that Moses built. You, you've, you've got Solomon's temple on and on. Watch what the Lord says. In that day, says it through a minor prophet called Amos 9 and 11, in that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen and close up the breaches thereof and I will raise up his ruins and I will build it as in the days of old. Somebody tell me why when we know that David was a sinner and then we know that David uh, messed up he was an adulterer he conspired to murder he was a liar two of his children tried to take over his kingdom one of his sons abused one of his daughters had two murders in his family from within the family he had a life and a family that was messed up but why was it that God said if I could go back to a kingdom I'd go back to that tabernacle where David used to worship me and it got so bad and unkept that it fell apart and was dilapidated. I'll tell you why. Because David kept the plate at 17 inches. David did not allow the bad things in and he didn't allow the good things out. And he was a man that believed in chasing after the goodness of God's heart. You ask some kings, what do you want to be like? And they'll tell you some other king. Ask some warrior, what do you want to be like? They'll tell you some other warrior. Ask some coach, what do you want to be like? They'll tell you some other coach. When you ask somebody, who do you want to be most like? And they say, I want to be the most like my Lord and my Savior, Jesus Christ. You will begin to find a godly man. Basketball's good, football's good, ice hockey's good, soccer's good, tennis is good. It all has its place. But I want to tell you something. We better teach our children and we better teach our adults and we better teach ourselves that Michael Jordan's not God. Come on, that's a little dated. I get it. But we better recognize that. I could go on and call lots of people's names, but I won't do it just for the sake of time. But I want to tell you something. There is a place in our life where if we want to be godly, there's certain things we can't look up to. After he says this about David, all the way back in Amos, it too is also recorded in Acts. Millennials later, in Acts 15, 16 through 17, he says this, After this I will return and I will build again the tabernacle of David which has fallen down. And I will build again the ruins thereof and I will set it up that the residue of men might seek after the Lord. The residue, those that are left, will seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles, that's you and I, upon whom my name is called. How many of you is called on his name? How many of you has had his 
his name called over you, saith the Lord who doeth all things. I want somebody to hear me right now that the Lord is saying, I would set up a temple after a known adulterer and a known sinner and a known loser and a known conspiracy to murder guy. I would set up something. Why? Because he was a man that continued to seek to look like me, to be like me through his mistakes. He chose to return to me every single time. Come on, I want to preach to some people. That don't mean it's okay to fail. That don't mean it's okay to to commit adultery and murder and lie and cheat and steal. But the the moral to this story of the entire life of David is as long as you get up one more time than you fall. Come on. Now I want to tell you what David was looking for. In all of these things, he had a beautiful wife. When he messed around, he had a good wife. He had somebody at that time that could have done some great things for him. And a lot of the things that happened with her later, I think, is possibly his fault. From the very beginning of time, he's making mistakes. He could have done that. And every time he done something wrong, you can see the elements of searching for something that's not there. Folks, if you search long enough and it's not there, you better come to the conclusion, God's not in it, that's not for you you, that's not designed for you it don't fit you, you can't remain the image of God there's certain lifestyles that just don't look godly, there's certain ways that we live and act and promote ourselves that are simply not godly what happens is when we do that, there becomes a void I lay down at night it happens to me now I have to go pray again. I say, Lord, what's missing? What have I done? Well, and it's, it's not always sin, folks. Sometimes we, we only connect sin to bad. You know, there's also a sin of omission. It's what we call it. It's just when we don't do what's right. It's not that we've done anything wrong. There's a void. You lay there and just say, There's something missing. I'm reaching for something. I'm longing for something. There's a desire. I'm so hungry. About two weeks ago, I went through a little time of of a couple of days where every day, for a couple, two, three, maybe four days, I'd get up and and I wouldn't want my my wife to testify about it, but, but she knows. I'd get up and I'd just say, something's not right and I could feel this nagging and I'd begin to pray about something or someone and sure enough something would fall out of that something would come out on display I said something even as, as recent as Wednesday something is wrong right here something is about to change right here something I don't know what it is but it's about to happen and, and the Lord each time said just seek me Just seek me. Just come for me. Just desire to be like me. Desire because what you're looking for, the only thing that's going to feel that is my perfect plan. See, some of you are hurting. Some of you are down and out and you've resolved in your mind. We heard a little bit of it taught this morning that it's never going to be like it's supposed to be. But I want to come against that by the authority of the Lord. When you get to be like the image of God that you're supposed to be and the creation that he breathed a soul and the breath of life into, you will find yourself happy in spite of all of life's struggles.
I'll prove it to you. Psalm 107 and 9. For he satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. Hear that. Psalm 145 and 16. Thou openest thine hand and satisfiest the desire of every living thing. Psalm 34, 9 through 10. Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Folks, I'm fixing to say something, and it's going to probably drop hard, but I'm going to say it anyway. The reason you've been feeling like you're feeling is because you ain't got enough God in your life. There's a difference in playing godly and being godly. There's a difference in showing up to church and being godly. There's a difference in supporting the church and being godly. There's a difference in being on the mowing team and being godly. There's a difference in being an altar worker and being godly. There's a difference in being a Sunday school teacher and being godly. There's a difference in being a pastor and being a godly man. There's a difference in all of these places and being godly. Hebrews 13 and 14. For here, and this is the big kicker, have we no, somebody say continuing. The word means permanent. In its original Greek language. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. Let me tell you why the saints of the Most High God are always singing about heaven. Because the earth ain't satisfying them. Folks, if you find yourself fully satisfied in this world, it lets me know you don't have another one on your mind. I'm proud to know that my roots are grounded in the soil of another place, in another land, in another world, in another place where I can spend eternity where there's no more death and no more pain and no more sorrow and no more sin or sickness or disease. I'm longing. Would y'all, would y'all just give me a little liberty? This old house I'm living in is needing repair for the windows and the shutters are letting in the cold, cold air. Well, I say to myself, I'm going to fix them if I can find the time. But all I've been finding lately is I've got leaving on my mind. <laughs> Let me give you the second verse. Oh, well, I guess I should be looking for a better place to live but I just can't get excited about this world and what it has to give 
I could care less if I could buy it all with a solitary dime. For what good would the whole world do me if I had leaving it all on my mind? Hey, I want to tell you something, folks. I won't be pleased with oxygen. I won't be pleased with flesh. I won't be eternally pleased with relationship. I won't be pleased with money. I won't be pleased until I get to heaven because I'm an image of God. Come on. Somebody ought to just praise him right now. Somebody hear me. Something's missing. And I'll tell you what it is missing. It's our Father and an eternal comfort. We're not going to feel it until we get there. Well, but not till you get there. But I, I, not till you get there. But I go to church every Sunday, but you, you go to get closer to Him. You go to feel more of Him. There's a day coming when that very pronounced, ear-piercing, grave-ripping trumpet sounds. And the dead in Christ are going to rise first. And those that are alive and well and remain are going to go on to meet them in the air. Then and only then are we going to be satisfied. All I've got is leaving on my mind. Seems that's all I've been thinking about most of the time soon. And very soon I'll leave my troubles far behind. Because all I've got is leaving. I got leaving on my mind. All I've got is leaving. Leaving on. The Bible said that in the end of time, the saints of God would cry, Come, Lord Jesus, come. And as I stand here behind this holy desk today with my heartbeat in the hand of the Lord in the last week or 10 days, it just came out of my mouth. I was walking around our swimming pool and I said, just come God, come get us. I've had enough of this whole world. I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of hatred. I'm tired of racism. I'm tired of politics. I'm tired of lying. I'm tired of cheating. I'm tired of stealing. I'm tired of sickness. I'm tired of hospitals. Just come on. Somebody said, you don't have a very good life. Oh, you're so wrong. I got three beautiful daughters, two great sons-in-laws, three wonderful grandsons, a nice home, a swimming pool, and a small he shed. I drive nice cars and wear cheap clothes because I sweat them down, but I got a good life. Well, you must know, you probably need some medicine. The medicine I need is for the windows of heaven to open up. 
You know, they make a pill for that. They sure do. They call it the Holy Ghost. And the quicker you take it, they call it baptism in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. And you shall receive power and peace to carry on. But we got to keep it at 17 inches. We can't live God's way and our rules. Hear me. Sister Beckham, I need five minutes. Another drink will not settle it. What another drink will do is lead you to draw yourself from your family. Won't be long. If you just continue over and over, I've watched it. You'll withdraw from everything. Why? Just one more drink will make me feel better. Let me tell you something, folks. Every single evening that I could, Monday through Sunday, or Sunday through Monday, correctly, on the weekly calendar, you'd find me at Fast Eddie's with a Corona Mexican beer and a lime hanging out the top of it and a pool stick, and I was pretty good. I was up money lots of times on the table. I don't mind. I don't mind. I know what it's like. I used to roll the biggest, fattest, prettiest joints trying to escape. I could take a big blue rock and chop up the nicest, longest line you ever seen. Snort it from a mile away. I had a nose like an elephant. I don't mind sharing some of my testimony with you, but here's what I'm going to tell you. What I realized is everything I was looking for was found at an altar of repentance and an altar of surrenderance and an altar of the flesh dying, giving way to the spiritual man. Somebody needs to hear me right now. Somebody needs to hear me. You don't need more of that. You don't need an extra marital relationship. You don't, need a, you don't need some pornography site. You don't need some drug, some alcoholic beverage, some crazy relationship. All you need is the God that can fill the void that only he can fill. Sister Debbie, Sister Debbie Davis, you're, you're, you're a perfect example and what you're doing is the right thing. But you and I both know that when you get there, it's not going to change what you've been through because what you're trying to escape is right here. Not that you're trying to escape anything. You've put in the years. You've got the right to go retire with your children and grandchildren. But if you get there and it don't feel right, you'll know. You already know. You've taught your Sunday school children for years. There's only one thing that's going to feel that pain of losing a husband and a daddy within just a few, just weeks virtually. The only thing that's going to feel that is to breathe in celestial air and to walk on streets of gold and to shake nail-scarred hands and to hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant 
You've been faithful over a few things. You kept it at 17 inches. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Money won't do it. Fame won't do it. Popularity won't do it. Now, Pastor, you're getting in my turf now. Okay. Let's talk to Robin Williams. If we could talk to him today with the funny guy and fame and money and notoriety and millions of dollars and, and in, entering into a time and a life of philanthropy of, of his life, giving and giving and building and didn't satisfy him. Let me tell you why. Because there's a void. Talk, talk to Whitney Houston who was one of the most beautiful young singers, an incredible voice, could, could, could cover so much range, incredible, got mixed up with the wrong people, started trying to cover up the hurt and the pain by her admission from walking away from a spirit-filled choir where when she sung, she felt something. If we could call her back today, let me tell you what she'd tell you. Get yourself in a spirit-filled church. Get involved in the singing. Get involved in every ministry that there's a door open. And you plug in until you die. If we could call back the iconic spirit and flesh of the beautiful Marilyn Monroe. What would her story tell us? It would tell us that while there were rumors of hanging out privately with the president and songs, seems to me you live your life like a candle in the wind. You know why the singer wrote that about her? Because just all of a sudden, it was gone. Let me tell you why. Because this world could not settle the void that was in the heart and soul of Marilyn Monroe. It's not who you are, it's who you know. Maybe not. We could go to one of the best guitar players in the history of guitars. I never was a fan of his music, but as far as an incredible guitarist, you go to a little five-foot-two guy named Prince. I mean, if you just wanted to hear a screaming guitar, you got Eddie Van Halen and Eric Clapton and, and Stevie Ray Vaughan. I mean, you got all kinds of characters out there, but as far as a guitar player, Prince could bend a string, but you find him in a pool of his own vomit with an overdose of drugs reaching for another high. One more high. One more, one more, one more. Can I tell you something? Purple rain won't do it for you. Screaming guitars don't fix it for you. Millions of dollars in your bank account don't do it for you. Drugs running in and out of your fourth story penthouse. You never have to leave don't do it for you. 
Let's go to Elvis Presley. Raised in a Pentecostal church where the Spirit moved. He said he learned his moves in church as a child. He said he learned to sing and just put it all out there by the choir members in his church. The king of rock and roll. Don't condemn me, but I've toured the mansion. I've stayed in the hotel. I've been on the plane. And he truly did have it all. But there was one thing missing. One thing would have turned that fading man around. Can you imagine Elvis Presley at the Dove Awards? It's the only thing missing. But you know what's sad? Is I've got one of his first albums. Albums, I said that, album. Slow Speed. I've got one of them at home. It's got a little value to it now. And you know one of the top songs on there ever requested by Elvis Presley? It's not Blue Suede Shoes. How great thou art. How great. I'm not trying to be an Elvis impersonator. I can't do it. But I'm going to tell you something. It was at those moments when Elvis Presley, by his own admission, felt peace in his life. Didn't need a drug. Didn't need another woman. Didn't need a bigger house or a bigger plane. Didn't need a fatter wallet. He just needed to sing how great. Because he had felt it. Come on, singers. I'm gonna take you to I'm gonna take you to two more people. One I never cared for, but was very talented by his in his own right, in his own field. Started out as a little boy in a choir. And then became a family group of Jackson Five. Then became little Michael Jackson. But the thriller didn't satisfy him. The first one to really go into music video. Made incredible movies. Before it's time, he was a legend. The guy could moonwalk me, he could slide across the stage. I mean, that's my best effort. He He was slick. He was good. He married Elvis Presley's daughter. Fathered two children. He was the son-in-law, the king of rock and roll. But by his own admission, what was missing were those days in the choir when they'd all get together in the latter years of his teens and sing, Oh, happy day. Or with Andre Crouch. Oh, happy day, happy day when Jesus washed, when Jesus washed my sin. That's where he got all that. He was watching some old sister run across that platform. He said, Well, I'm going to take that to Broadway. 
But what would happen if you could call Michael Jackson to the stage today? He said, I can't get no sleep. So he's got an anesthesiologist on the payroll, spending every night with him, running IVs into his arm until it's too much. Let me just tell you something. I don't care who you are or where you come from. I want every one of you to come back. Life Point Church has a place for you. We've got a job for you. But I'm going to preach to you this one time that if you don't get in the church, not by the church, not just visit every now, I mean get in the church, you will never. You'll be, you'll be like another one that someday they'll be talking about. They said, I can't get no satisfaction. I try, and I try, and I try, and I try. I can't get no. You know why? He's in the wrong place looking for it. Y'all go ahead. Y'all get mad at me for singing these songs. Later, they're going to mean something to you. Because we've named some of the top in history. From Prince to Michael Jackson to the Rolling Stones to Whitney Houston. But I'm going to tell you one that we can talk to today. I remember watching a guy years ago. And, and I wouldn't have had a problem throat punching this guy when I was a kid. Because I thought he was the most gross, anti-Christ, anti-God, anti... When I wasn't even living for God, I wanted to throat punch Alice Cooper. Went on to be the lead singer for who? Y'all don't let me be the only sinner in here. Black Sabbath? No, chains. Yeah. He used to bite the heads off of a bat during his show, during his concert. Now, I mean, I was Ozzy. Alice was the, the blood flowing. Yeah, he was, he was the white painted. See, I don't know. I didn't follow him. I didn't want to throw punch him, like I said. But I read an article. We were out eating here a while back, and I told some people, I said, hey, do y'all know Alice Cooper's a preacher? Huh? Yeah, he's a preacher. They said, for real. And some of them Googled it right there in the parking lot. And he says, today, he's an evangelical minister that was raised in a pastor's home of a spirit-filled church. He went and he found his money. He found his fame. He made his albums. He'd done it all. But in the end, he had a chance to have Joel 2 and 23 through 26 some time recouped. And he's making the best of it today. I've been 45 minutes. I see it. Midlife crisis is very real. Men from 38 years on into their early 60s, the survey says and history reports are the most radical spenders. Women, when they're young, abuse credit cards, hide away little cash and little stash, and go on a weekend splurge. Men turn 40 and go buy everything. You know why? As their body starts failing them, the house won't replace it. 
The car won't replace it. The boat won't replace it. The jet skis won't fix it. An extramarital affair won't change it. It's called a midlife crisis. You know what the crisis is? It's a spiritual crisis. There's something missing that only God can fill. I want to do something. If the enemy has been tormenting you, just challenging you. Folks, I just told you, for three or four, maybe even five days, a week, two weeks back, I got up every day heavy, just, what is it, what is it? And the Lord said, draw close to me and I'll draw close to you. You start closing the distance and I'll make up the rest of the way. So I'm going to invite you. Maybe you're, maybe you're way better than me. Maybe you've never had a problem. Maybe you've never had a burden. Maybe you've never had an issue. I'd like us all to stand. And those that would just, maybe you're a guest and you don't know what will happen if you walk to our altar. Today, today, I don't say this much. Today, this will be your time unless you ask someone to come and pray with you. No one's going to swarm you. Nobody's going to come in attack mode and surround you. I'm not going to come slap oil on your head. If you want to walk to this altar and just have a little time with Jesus Christ, you can do it with a bent knee, a bowed head, or you can just stand and say, here I am, Lord. If this preacher said anything true today, I want that peace that he's talking about.